Well, hello and welcome back to Deconstructing the Bible. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the Associate Minister at The Well, a United Methodist Church in Rosemont, Minnesota. And this is episode 13, season one, episode 13. So lucky 13. And this one is called Polarization and Proximity. Polarization and Proximity. So first, let's talk about polarization. Polarization is opposites, right? Think North Pole, South Pole. Think of a battery. You got a positive side and a negative side. You got this polarization. Now, it's the biggest buzzword for describing our political system at the moment, right? The the, the political realm. Like, how are we doing politics in our country? It's as polarized seemingly as it's ever been. I'm sure there are times in our history, if we were to go way back, we would see polarization in pretty extreme contexts. But this one, especially in my lifetime, and I'm about to start my fourth decade of life or finish my fourth decade of life, however you want to count that. I'm turning 40 for all those that are confused by my nonsense here. We are more polarized than I think we've probably almost ever been in my lifetime, at least as far back as I can remember politics being. Now, there's always been tension between the left and the right, the Democrats, the Republicans, the conservatives, and the liberals. But things are more polarized now seemingly than ever. And there's a lot of reasons for that, and we could dive into those. But one of the beautiful things about the well is that the well is a nonpartisan church. We want to be really out front about who we are. And one of the things that we are not going to be is partisan. But the interesting thing is that we might not be partisan, but it doesn't mean that we don't recognize the impact of politics, right? Because politics is simply how we arrange ourselves in society, how we go about doing things on behalf of the people of a society or a culture, right? So politics is the way in which we are arranging ourselves. And so we can't help but be political, right? I mean, the water that comes into my house is the result of a government system. Now, it's one that's fairly efficient and doesn't have too many problems unless you're you know, city well is contaminated and no one's deciding to clean it and no one's paying attention to those levels and they're suddenly lead in the water and now everyone's getting sick. And we've seen this like in Flint, Michigan. And so we can see that politics is both impactful for how we get our water, how the electrical grid works, how the roads are done from the military to the police departments and localized municipalities. And we have all of these different pieces that the government touches, regulates, impacts, gives money to, school systems, all kinds of systems and employment that is affected by government and affected by politics. We don't always have to be partisan when we talk politically, but we do have to talk politically because it impacts all of our livelihood in so many ways. The problem with the current political system is that it's become so polarized. And when it's polarized, it becomes really hard to get things done because the two groups are so far away from one another in their understanding and framing of the current cultural societal context. And when they're so far away from each other, it is nearly impossible to come to some form of agreement or compromise. And any form of the word compromise in the mouths of anybody comes across as weakness or it comes across as giving in. And so even the the gold standard of 
healthy compromise on behalf of the people, especially those that are most affected by the difficulties of our world, whether that's economically, you know, educationally, um, financially, whoever's most affected by these things in a negative way and needs the help the most, government should be there to help out in some form or fashion creating room for that, whether that's by helping create jobs or whether that's by helping create uh, opportunities for income, whatever it may be, the government is needing to help those that are in the most need. And we're not doing a great job of that right now. Why? Because of the polarization, the gridlock, with the lack of compromise, the lack of coming together for the common good of the people. And the reason why I think so much of this is happening is because you have the dualistic mindset. It's either us and them. We're in or out. We're right, we're wrong. We're either in the in-group or we're shaming those that are on the outside. Those people are the problem. Those, you know, Democrats, those Republicans, those the lefties, those conservatives, whatever it may be, we are putting people in this separated camp. And and here's the thing, we use phrases like I'm not capable of what that person is capable of, or I would never, ever imagine myself saying something that they're saying. I could never see the world the way they see the world. I could never make that choice that they're making, whatever that choice may be. Whatever we want to talk about, whether it's immigration, abortion, we want to talk about the economy, we want to talk about internationally, whatever it may be, when we are so polarized as a people, we end up saying things like, I could never imagine things the way they do. I could never say the things that they say. Well, here's the problem with those statements, is that we are doing those things, typically, and we are capable of those things. We talked a little bit about this in the last episode when we were talking about Genesis 1 through 3 and the realization that we are actually capable of more than we think we are. And typically not in a positive way. Like we are capable of some very damaging things if the circumstances were to be different for us. We don't want to believe that we're capable of some things when really we are, if the circumstances may be different. And so if you lock me in a home with two young boys and my wife, and you have us go through 18 months of a global pandemic, and you ask me, am I a more patient parent than I was 18 months ago? The answer is clearly no, right? The circumstances changed, and suddenly the choices that I was making, the person that I am, starts to shift a little bit, and I find myself doing things, saying things, maybe even believing things that I never believed before, or I never thought I would do before or say before. And it's not that I'm some kind of terrible person. We talked about this last week, right? It's not that I'm a terrible person. It's not that I'm all bad or anything like that. But there's a recognition that, oh, there's a whole lot more in me. There's a whole lot more here than I thought there was. And I am capable of thinking ways that are unhealthy. And so, maybe things aren't quite as polarized as we want them to be. You know, I think one of the stories of the Bible that is really interesting or, or kind of one of the, the through lines, one of the through line narratives that we can see throughout the Old Testament especially is the story of the people of Israel. And they find themselves 
eventually in Egypt where they become slaves. And so for 400 years, the people of Israel are slaves in Egypt. But then what happens? They get liberation, right? God delivers the people um, across the Red Sea into the wilderness. For 40 years, they wander in the wilderness. They get the law and they start to establish themselves as a people, what it means to be human. Who are they? God starts working with them and suddenly they come into the promised land. At first, seem to be really committed to God, right? Joshua has that great line, choose for you today who you will follow. As for me and my house, we will follow the Lord, right? Yahweh, we will follow the Lord. And so there's this big pronouncement of who they're going to follow. And all the people join Joshua in that. They reestablish it upon Joshua's death. And it seems to be going in the right direction. But then we know the story of Judges is that consistently, generation after generation, the people will fall away. They will follow other gods. They will distance themselves from the Lord. Um, Other people will attack them. Then they'll raise up a judge who will then, you know, defeat their enemy by the power of the Lord. And then the Lord will establish peace and rest back in the land. This cycle happens over and over and over throughout the book of Judges to the point at which they say, hey, we need to get out of this cycle. We need a king. We need someone to rule over us, to organize us, and to, to, to have reign over this nation so that it has clear expectations for who it's supposed to be. And so that's when we get Saul, the first king, and then eventually David, and then eventually Solomon. And the story of Solomon is fascinating because what we end up seeing is we see this nation that came out of Egypt after 400 years of slavery only a few hundred years later, they have gone from being slaves to now they are actually enslaving their neighbors and the conquered around them, and sometimes even their own people, in order to build the palace and the temple in the city of Jerusalem. We see this nation of slaves become the enslavers. And so you would imagine that the people of Israel would have said things like, we would never, ever be like Egypt. We could never be like them. We could never hold rule over others and make them make bricks, bricks, bricks for us because we know what that feels like. And yet the story of Israel is about a people who forgot who they were. They forgot relationship with God. They turned away from that relationship, and they actually started becoming the very thing that they despised, the very thing that they left in Egypt, they eventually became. And so we see this movement from, I could never be capable of that, to doing that. And I think the story of Israel is the story of each of us, to some degree. It's the story of each of us you are actually capable of looking at the world in a potentially very damaging way. And so we look at the polarization in our country and we maybe look at a politician and say, how could someone possibly think like that? But if you were to put yourself in that situation, raised in that environment, listening to the voices they've listened to, being impacted by the people that have impacted them, it's probably not out of the realm of possibility that you may have thought the exact same way they did. You may have imagined the world 
and been impacted in the in a very similar way. And so the rhetoric that you would have had may sound a little bit like theirs. Now that might be something that is hard to swallow. You might be disgusted by that idea, whatever you know, extreme you may be on, whatever pole you may be on, or you're sitting in the middle and saying, I don't want to be like any of these people. Maybe you're such a moderate that you're like, I can't imagine being on the poles of either group. And so it's it's us and then it's them and them, right? Like, so there's like three groups here. It's us and then them and them. They're the problem, those on the poles as opposed to us in the middle. See, we just did it again, right? Us in the middle versus them on the extremes, right? And so we still do this dualistic thing where we create an us and a them. I'm the moderate, they're the extremes, right? I'm the one that's trying to find compromise. They are the ones who are not willing to compromise. We us and them the entire situation. The thing that is lacking in all of this, the thing that is lacking in the polarization that we see politically, the thing that is lacking in what we see in the people of Israel, the thing that is lacking when we do this dualistic thing of us and them is empathy. We're lacking empathy. We're unable to put ourselves in the shoes of others. We are lacking empathy. Empathy is the road back to wholeness, right? We cannot get to wholeness as a society, as a people, as a church, as a family, as a community. We can't get back to wholeness without empathy. We can't get back to peace and shalom without a sense of empathy towards one another. We have to be able to empathize, put ourselves in the shoes of another person. Therefore, we can start to see the world a little differently and recognize, and here's the kicker, we recognize similar fear, right? We recognize similar fear because so much of life, so much of the rhetoric that we see, so much of the vitriol that we see in politics is just based on fear. Sometimes it's conjured up fear. It's fear that doesn't really have a basis in reality. Sometimes it's fear that is really out there. Sometimes it's overblown fear, but fear is a driving motivator for so much of life. And when we don't have empathy, we can't tap into our common sense of fear. The other thing that we can't tap into when we don't have empathy is our common understanding of love. Because everybody desires love. And we can't tap into that if we don't have empathy. Empathy allows us to see the fear that we all share. Different fears, but we all share fear. And empathy also allows us to understand that love is necessary and possible. So empathy allows us to move towards wholeness because we recognize fear and we can recognize the need for love. And when we do those things, we are on the road back to wholeness. You know, I've always had this thing, I don't know the thing, this this issue, I guess you could say, or this question, this lingering question about what did it mean when it said that Jesus absorbed all of our sin on the cross, that Jesus absorbed all of human sin on the cross. I thought that was kind of an interesting idea because obviously I wasn't alive back then, so what sin was he absorbing from me? Was this some kind of like cosmic um, transaction that all the people in the past, present, and future, all of their sins were being absorbed into Jesus on the cross? And, and maybe there is this cosmic transaction taking place where Jesus absorbs all of our sin and is put to death on the cross and it is forgiven. 
through the resurrection. And so now all of my sins have already been forgiven. And it's it's up to me to recognize that and to live into the forgiveness of God. And so maybe that is how that is to be understood. Maybe that is the healthiest theological understanding of what does it mean when Jesus absorbs all of our sin on the cross. Maybe there is this dynamic, divine, cosmic, you know, transaction taking place that is something that I just need to live into. And 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 for the majority of my life and the majority of my theological curiosity, that has been a very beautiful way of understanding the interchange and the the dynamics of the cross of what Jesus did as he absorbs all of our sin. It's forgiven. It's 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 brought to the cross. It's died. Christ resurrects, offers forgiveness, and therefore we can accept the forgiveness of God and move forward as brothers and sisters and as children of God. But another way of trying to look at this, what does it mean when Jesus absorbs all of our sin, is the understanding that Jesus is absorbing all of sin in order for there to be an empathy towards the human condition. That when it says Jesus is absorbing all of our sin, Jesus is absorbing all of the ways that we have distanced ourselves from healthy relationship. That Jesus is absorbing all of the ways in which we have gone off the path, missed the mark, we have broken relationship. That Jesus is absorbing all of the ways in which we miss the mark and we head in the wrong direction and we hurt one another. All of the ways in which we choose disunity instead of unity, where we choose disharmony as opposed to harmony, right? Jesus is absorbing all of the ways that we fracture creation. We fracture what it means to be human. We fracture what it means to be made in the image of God. And Jesus is saying, I'm absorbing all of that. Why am I absorbing all of that? Jesus would say, why am I absorbing all of the ways that you have missed the mark, that you have let gone astray, that you have broken things, that you have fractured this creation, that you have hindered relationship. Why am I absorbing it at all? So that there is empathy for the human experience so that I can meet you in your fear and I can meet you in your need for love and we can move towards wholeness and shalom together. That Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, wants to partner with us on this road towards wholeness, this journey of sanctification, this movement towards Christ-likeness. And so Jesus is on the cross absorbing all of the ways in which we are broken to gain empathy for what it means to be human, for what it means to be broken and fractured, and and is putting us on the road towards resurrection, on the road to forgiveness and wholeness and healing and restoration. Jesus is embracing what it means to be human in its fullness and is empathizing with our fear and our desire for love. But here's the kicker, is as I just said, by the power of the Spirit, we move towards Christ-likeness. We move towards wholeness and shalom. We move towards restoration and and reconciliation um, and resurrection. We move towards it. How? Not simply by empathy, but by the power of the Spirit who becomes proximate, close to us. The Spirit is alive and active in us. Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, it is near, and it is within you. Jesus is saying that this thing that God is up to, this way of love, 
this, this way of connection and healthy relational dynamics is actually within you. It's proximate. It's close. The proximity of God to humanity is actually much closer than we could possibly imagine. And so it's through proximity that we can tap into empathy, right? It's by the power of God's Spirit at work in us that we can develop empathy, right? And so how does this all come together with politics, polarization, community life? Here's how it comes together. The only way to bridge the polarizing divide is by gaining empathy. But the way to gain empathy is built through proximity. We need to be close to one another. Brian Stevenson has this amazing talk that I've heard him give a couple of times, and he talks about the disconnection in our world uh, racially and and how the, the, the racism, the prevalence of it in our country and in our world is so um, great, the, the, the disconnection, that one of the only ways we're ever going to bridge the divide of racism is if we get proximate to one another, if we get close, if we actually know the names of people different from us. How could we possibly move towards empathy, understanding, compromise? How could we break down the walls of dualistic thinking of us versus them if we are unwilling to be proximate to people, if we're unwilling to be proximate to someone who believes something different from us? And now here's the thing. You can get proximate and argue or you can get proximate and get curious. You can get proximate and get angry and get frustrated, or you can get proximate and get close, and you can listen. You can listen to one another. And here's the thing. It takes two to tango. It takes two to come to the table and be proximate. Individuals, solo artists, can try this. You can try to understand someone different from you. But the way to make change is if they as well are willing to get to know you. It takes two here. So I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, conservative or liberal. I don't care if you're left or right. We need all of us to recognize that being proximate, close to one another, being unified is necessary. Why? Because it builds empathy towards one another. We recognize our shared fear we recognize our shared need for love and connection, and we move towards wholeness. We move towards shalom when we develop that empathy. We could actually see a politics that if you, if people were willing to lay down their obsession with their power and their position, but they were willing to work on behalf of the people, if we were to recognize the need to distance ourselves from being in power, but want to help others, and to actually make changes that will be healthy, we have to develop empathy, and it moves us, it moves us towards wholeness. So how do we, how do, we do away with the polarization? We have to get proximate. We have to get close. Polarization and proximity. Proximity is the key to empathy. Empathy is the road back to wholeness. And when we get to wholeness, polarization will dissipate because there will be no need for it. Now, obviously, I'm extremely optimistic. Obviously, 
I am pie in the sky, but what else am I supposed to be? What else am I supposed to be? I'm not going to throw my hands up and quit. I'm simply wanting to offer a road, a map, wanting to offer an opportunity, a space for us to move towards empathy, our shared understanding of fear and love, our shared desire for wholeness, so that we can no longer be an us and a them, but a we. Thanks for joining us on Deconstructing the Bible.